Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And this morning we're going to be continuing on in our study of the book of Ruth. We're actually finishing up Ruth with a message that I like to call Chains of Faith. And you're going to find out in a little bit why I called it Chains of Faith. It's going to be a good day here at Grace. We've got several baptisms in the second service. Uh, I think we have four people being baptized in the second service. It's going to be a good day today. Um, But for those of you who have maybe missed a Sunday or you're not real familiar with the book of Ruth, let me give you a little overview of the book of Ruth. There was a famine in Bethlehem, and a man named Elimelech took his family, his wife Naomi, and his two sons, and he moved to the pagan land of Moab. Moab was a pagan land, meaning that they worshipped Uh, many gods, but they didn't worship the one true God. And so over the course of 10 years, his family lived there. His sons both married Moabite women, and Elimelech ended up dying, and then later his two sons died as well. So Naomi is widowed and childless, and she decides to move back to Bethlehem. And she tells her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, that they are to stay back in Moab. They should stay back in Moab and find husbands there. Orpah does stay in Moab. Ruth insists on going with Naomi to Bethlehem, which is where we get her famous statement, where you go, I will go, where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And so Ruth and Naomi, they head out to Bethlehem. When they get to Bethlehem, they're poor, they, they don't have any food, so Ruth goes to glean in the fields and pick up the, the uh, leftover grain after the harvesters, and she meets the owner of the field, whose name is Boaz. Just so happens that Boaz happens to be a near relative, which means that he can be a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, and that means that he can marry them, he can marry Ruth, and he can take care of them, and so that's what he does, and that's where we pick up here today in Ruth chapter 4. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 13, if you want to read along with us. Starting in verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. I had never really thought about this before, but she must have been barren. She must have been unable to conceive, because if you think about it, she was married to... Naomi's son for many, many years, but she never had children. And there was no such thing as, as birth control. There was, people didn't wait to, you know, finish college and establish their career before they had children. When they got married, they started families immediately. Yet she had no children. And it says here that the Lord enabled her to conceive. So she must have been barren, and he enabled her to conceive. And she had a son. Verse 14, the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer, or a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. She said she was better to to her than seven sons. I mean, if you think about that, it, it would be like having a friend that people said was better to you than having seven friends. 
You know, they're, they're so good. They're such a loyal. They're such a kind. They're such a, a giving friend. They're always there for you, that they're better than having seven friends. Maybe some of you have a friend like that. That would be a blessing to have a friend like that. Ruth was a huge blessing to Naomi, better than having seven sons. Verse 16, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, which Obed means servant of God or worshiper. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes on to tell the genealogy of David. And I know that a lot of times when we get to those genealogy scriptures, we skip them, right? Tell the truth, you skip them. Because it's like reading the phone book, right? <laughs> it's, it's not very interesting. You're like, who cares? I don't even know these people. It doesn't matter. Well, I want you to get excited about the genealogy today, though, because you are going to know some of these people. And it's very, very important. So let's get excited about it today. <laughs> That's it. That's the spirit. So it goes on to say, this then is the family line of Perez. And so I want to stop there and, and go back to, let's remind ourselves of who Perez is, okay? We studied this back in Genesis. Some of you may be familiar with the story of Judah and Tamar. Uh, a very uh, racy story. It's what, you know, rated R movies are made of. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, it's in chapter 38 of Genesis. And you can go there and read the whole story yourself, but I'll give you a little bit of an overview just to, to, to set the stage here. So we have this woman named Tamar, and she marries a man, and he's a bad guy. He's evil. God strikes him dead. So... Custom says that she is to marry his brother, and they are to have a child, and that child is to carry on the lineage of the deceased brother, to carry on the name of the deceased brother. And so she does that. She marries his brother, and who's happy to marry her, but he doesn't really like that idea of creating a child that's going to carry on his brother's lineage, his brother's name. You know, he doesn't have a problem with the baby-making process. He just uh, has a problem with creating a child from that. And so it says in the Bible that he spills his seed on the ground. It's in the Bible, I promise. I'm not making this up. I mean, I just quoted scripture. It's, it's, in, it's in here, okay? Look it up yourself. But uh, chapter 38. But so he spills his seed on the ground. So he wasn't supposed to do that. Obviously, he was supposed to make a baby. And so God strikes him dead. So now she's supposed to marry another brother. And there's only one brother left, and he's young. And uh, the father, Judah, says, well, you know, he's not old enough to marry yet. So Tamar, you go back and live with your parents. And whenever he's old enough to marry, then I'll call you back and y'all can get married. She says, okay. She goes and lives with her parents. Judah was lying not true. He had no intention of having his youngest. His first two sons have died when they married her. He's, he's not risking the third son, so he, he lied. So some time passes. She realized this is not going to come about. They haven't called for her. And so she finds out that Judah is coming through a certain area. She hears through the grapevine that he's coming through a certain area that day. So she disguises herself as a prostitute. And she sits along the roadside, and she draws Judah's attention. And so we'll just say that he indulged in her services, and she became pregnant with Perez. 
Okay, so we know that the family line of the Messiah is to come through Judah. Judah, and he has a son with Tamar named Perez. And there's a whole lot more to that story. I encourage you to go back and read it. It's very juicy, very interesting. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. But uh, that leads us to Perez. So then we will continue on in verse 18. It says, Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amenadab, Amenadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, which Boaz's mother was Ruth. It doesn't say it here, but it does say it over in Matthew chapter 1 that, that Boaz's mother was Rahab the prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed, which Obed is the son that Ruth and Boaz have in this chapter today. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, as in King David. Okay, Ruth is the grandmother, is the great-grandmother of King David. This is the lineage of Boaz and Ruth. They give birth to Obed, Obed has Jesse, Jesse has David, and 27 generations later, we have Jesus Christ Amen. through the lineage of Ruth and, Boab, and, and Boaz. I told you a few weeks ago that we would be studying David after we studied the book of Ruth, and that there was a really big reason for that, and this is it. This is the reason, because King David and Jesus eventually comes from that lineage of Ruth and Boaz. Another mind-blowing fact about this story is over in Genesis 38, where it talks about uh, Judah and Tamar. In the Hebrew text, hidden in the Hebrew text, is this lineage. If you could put that graphic up. In Genesis chapter 38, in 49-letter increments, 49 being a multiple of 7, 7 times 7, 7 being the number of completion, in 49 letter increments, you can find the letter B, then you 49 letters later O, 49 letters later A, until it spells out Boaz. And then Ruth, in 49 letter increments, spelled out Ruth. And then 49 letter increments spells out Obed. And in 49 letter increments spells out Yishay, which is Jesse in Hebrew. And in 49 letter increments spells out David, all in chronological order. Boaz, Ruth, Obed, Jesse, and David, hidden in the text of the story of Judah and Tamar. Isn't that incredible? God is incredible. What are the chances of that just accidentally happening? Zero. Zero. God is amazing. Like, there, there are so many mysteries to him to figure out. It's, it's incredible. But back to today's text. David is the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth. Now, let's think about this. Look at what what God has done in Ruth's life. She's a Moabite. She is an, a descendant of an incestuous relationship. Okay? Back in Genesis 19, like I said, I'm not making this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Who needs Netflix? Okay? We've got the Bible. This is juicy stuff. In Genesis 19, Lot, uh, his, his daughters get him drunk, and they have sex with him. They both become pregnant with sons. Those two sons are where the Moabites and the Ammonites originated from. It's from the two sons of Lot, the incestuous relationship with his daughters. And so it, it, 
Ruth is a Moabite. And the, I mean, the Moabites are enemies, complete enemies of the Israelites. There was a time when they sent a prophet to, to curse the Israelites. There was a time when uh, they, many times, when they sent their women out to entice the, the Israelite men into sexual immorality, into worshiping idols. I mean, she comes from a very, very, very ba bad background, a rough background. And when we're introduced to her, she is a, she is a poor, Moabite, barren widow who, who has nothing. She's homeless. She's hopeless. She's destitute. And God takes that woman... He takes Ruth, and he redeems her life. He takes her bad. He trades it for his good. He redeems her life. He puts her in the messianic line of Jesus Christ. She's one of only five women listed in the lineage of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. It's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal because Ruth represents us. And our God is still in the business of taking people with rough backgrounds, taking people with messy, shady past, and redeeming us. And Boaz is a picture of Christ. Remember back in chapter 3, Jeff talked about this, how, how Ruth went to the feet of Boaz. And she laid at the feet of Boaz and said, redeem me. That's a picture of us at the feet of Jesus, surrendering ourselves to him and saying, redeem me. And he does. He does. The, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, is the, the most like picture of Jesus Christ that we have in the Bible. It's one of the clearest pictures. It's a, it's a bridegroom who purchases a Gentile bride. Because if you think about it, back in, um, earlier in this chapter, we saw that Elimelech, he owned property. And when he died, that property was transferred to his son. But when his son died then the nearest relative would be able to purchase that land and in doing so would be required to marry the widow of the deceased owner of the land. And so Boaz, he found out that there was a nearer relative than he was. And so he did the right thing. He went to that man and he said, you know, you are the nearest relative. You can be the kinsman redeemer. You can purchase this property and the guy was like, yeah, I'll purchase the property. I'm, he was all for that. But he didn't want the baggage that came along with it, also known as Ruth and Naomi. He didn't want to marry her. And so he, he declined. Boaz married Ruth. And Boaz purchased that property. He paid a price. He purchased that property. And he took Ruth and Naomi on as his responsibility. Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, he paid a price. He purchased us with his blood. He exchanged his blood. He took on our sin and our shame and gave us his righteousness. He redeemed us. Hallelujah, yes. It cost him something. It cost Jesus something. It says over in Ephesians 1:7, in him we have redemption. We've been redeemed. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Through his sacrifice on that cross, we were given new life. Through Boaz, Ruth was given new life. 
She was given a new start in life. She had no idea what the larger purpose that God had planned for her was. She had no, no idea. She had no idea, just like you don't know what God has planned for you, what God has planned to do through you and through the faith that you have and through your, your children, where you pass that faith on to your children and to your grandchildren and their grand, grandchildren and so on and so forth because of your faith that you passed on to them in the beginning. You know, I think that we often, we talk about family trees and we trace our family trees. But I want you to think this morning about your faith lineage, about your, your chain of faith that you pass on to the next generation. It's like I have a chain here. This represents Elimelech's chain of faith. All right? I don't know a whole lot about Elimelech. I don't know who his ancestors were. Um, but I know that he was an Israelite, so I know that he had a chain of faith. I know that he had many people before him that, that had faith. And then we get to Elimelech. And for whatever reason, Elimelech's faith was weak. His faith was weak. When, when Bethlehem went through a famine, instead of staying and trusting God, he packed up his family and he moved to Moab. He led his family into a foreign land with foreign gods, and they weren't on a mission trip. So that's not good, right? He had a weak faith. He had a weak faith. And because of that, his sons married Moabite women. They were unequally yoked. His, his sons led a faithless life, and they died a faithless death. And the chain ends there with Elimelech. There's no other chains. There's no other links after that. Then you can contrast that to the chain of Boaz. The chain of Boaz. We know Boaz was an Israelite man. We know that he came from a, a strong ancestry of faith. He had many descendants of faith. We can now go all the way back to Abraham. Okay? Abraham had a son named Isaac. He had a son named Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. He had 12 sons. They were the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah was one of those tribes, was one of those sons. And we know that Boaz was a descendant of Judah. And we know that he had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who 27 years later, 27 generations later, was Jesus Christ. And that chain of faith went on and on and on. That's an incredible story. Maybe you have a story like that. Maybe you have a strong history of faith in your family. Later today, in the second service, we're going to be baptizing uh, Sam and Sarah's son, Carson. Sam gets the honor of baptizing his son. Jeff's going to get to baptize London this morning in the second service. It's a good day. <laughs> it's a really good day. Carson is going to have five sets of grandparents here, grandparents and great-grandparents here to see him be baptized. That is a strong faith chain, isn't it? That's incredible. That's incredible. Maybe you don't have that, though, is I have another chain over here. This is Ruth's chain. This is Ruth's chain of faith. And this is Ruth. She's the very first link in her chain. 
She, there was no believers in her family. She came from a pagan land. There was no believers to pass that faith on to her. She's the very first link in her chain. But she had Obed, who had Jesse, who had David. 27 generations later, we have Jesus Christ. And the faith chain continues. The faith chain continues. If I could say one thing to you this morning, it would be, don't be, don't be this chain. Don't be the weak link. Don't be the missing link. Some of you may have the opportunity to be the first link, the first link in your family. Your faith matters. Don't underestimate what God can do through your faith through your faithfulness, through your consistency in pursuing Jesus. Do not underestimate what he can do because your faith matters. It's like we see in verse 14. In verse 14, the, the story shifts back to Naomi. You know, her faith affected Ruth. Her faith caused Ruth to be the first link in her chain. You know, maybe you don't have a child to, to, to carry on your faith, you can, you can inspire that in someone else for them to be the first link in the chain of their own family. You can make a difference with your faith just like Naomi did with Ruth. You know, Naomi, we start out in the story of Naomi, we start out with her loss, but we end with her gain. And, you know, on the outside looking in, we can all look at this story and we can see God orchestrating all the parts of her life. And we can see what a beautiful story it is. But let us not forget that there was a time in Naomi's life that she chose to go to Moab. That she chose to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Maybe that's where you are in your life right now. Maybe you've drifted out of Bethlehem and you've headed on over to your own Moab, so to speak. And I just want you to know that you can do like Naomi. Naomi, she, she went to Moab. She lost everything. She was disobeying God. She wasn't trusting God. She lost everything. Her life was shattered. She was broken. She hit rock bottom. And she turned around. And she said, I'm going back to where I belong. I'm going back to Bethlehem. And so she packed up her things and she left Moab and she went to Bethlehem, not knowing what to expect. She had to have been scared, not knowing how people would receive her. She had to have been embarrassed. She left whole and she came back broken. You know, people could be like, well, what are you doing here? You know, you, you left, you walked away from God. Now you want to come back? Now, who do you think you are? But she didn't worry about that. She didn't worry about any of that. She packed her stuff, and she goes back. She goes back. And if that's you this morning, if that's you coming back from your Moab, let me be the first to say welcome home. Welcome home. We're not here to judge you. We're here to love you. I don't know what the people in this room have been through. Some of you have been through horrendous things that I can't even think or imagine. And for you to come back is an effort. <laughs> We're not here to judge you. Is it, by the grace of God, you know, we, could, we could 
we could all be back in Moab faster than our heads could spin. Welcome home. If you're here this morning and you're wavering on that decision, you don't know if you want to come back or not. You're wavering on it. Or, or maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're watching online, you were flipping through, you came across this sermon, you don't even know why you stopped to listen to it. God does. God does. He has a plan. He's calling you back. Make your way back to the will of God. It's never too late. That's what Naomi did. She rededicated herself to the will of God. And now look at, look at Ruth's decision in all of this. Ruth, for the very first time, has decided to follow God. She's like, I don't understand all about you, God. I don't understand your laws. I don't understand what you do in the tabernacle. I don't understand any of those things, but I know that I love you. I know that you're the one true God, and I will follow you. I will follow you. I'll, if you say do it, I'll do it. If you say go glean in the, in the field, I'll go glean in the field. And she did that, and because she did, she met a man named Boaz, and he married her, and they had a son, and Naomi was blessed with a grandchild. All of Israel was blessed with a king. And the entire world was blessed with Jesus Christ because of one person's decision to obey. Your faith matters. Your faith matters. Because this is not just a story of what God can do for a woman who needed a husband. It's a story about God preserving a nation it's about God providing a king. It's about God providing a way for Jesus Christ to come into this world and save us all. That's what Ruth is about. Because look at this, this last verse in Judges. Because remember, this, was, this happened during the time of Judges. And this, this verse tells it all. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. That's how the book of Judges ended. And then in the book of Ruth, we see God providing a king. So I want you to know that no matter how bad things look in your life, that you can do like Naomi did, and you can turn around. You can turn around, and you can rededicate yourself to him, and he will do amazing things in your life. Or you can be like Ruth, and for the very first time, decide that you're going to truly follow Jesus Christ. Let him write your story. It will affect you, you, it will affect your children, it will affect your grandchildren for generations to come. Because I know that we look at the world today and it gets discouraging. It's scary, really. You know, the things of the world's sin is being glorified and the ways of the Lord are being condemned. It's switched. It's scary. But I look at a book like Ruth and I know that somewhere, someplace, God is doing something. He's writing a story. He is doing something. And he will deliver us someday. This is not how it ends. He will deliver us someday. In the time of Judges, when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, God was providing a king. And if you take nothing else away from this message today, I want you to walk away from here positioned for God to write your story. Positioned for God to write your story. How do you do that? Well, the first thing that you do 
is like Naomi. You turn around. You turn around. So the question becomes, where are you right now? Where are you? Are you in Bethlehem? Are you in Moab? Are you inching towards Moab? Or are you just full on in Moab? Recognize where you are today in Christ, in your walk with him. You know, when, when the, the world is praising sin, when the world is condoning sin, are you right there with them? Think about that. Are you at a point today where you're ready to say, God, whatever you want for me, whatever you would have for me, I'm here. Here I am. Use me. Send me. You know, your, your people are my people, and you are my God, and I will follow you. Is that what's on your heart today? Because if it's not, if you've not made a decision to follow God, then you have made a decision not to follow God. It's one or the other. I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. It's very clear. Either you follow him or you don't. There's no in-between. Not that following him is perfect. It never will be. It never will be. It's a daily conscious effort. See, we sit here and we study these people in history and we, we, we pull their lives apart with a, with a fine-tooth comb and look at their lives, but we need to look at our own lives. We need to look at our own lives and see where are we? Where are we in this walk, in a day where everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes? Is that what we're doing? Or are we following God? Are you doing like Ruth and saying, I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know I love you and I know I want to follow you and I will do whatever you say. And you just surrender that pen over to him. And he will providentially bring people into your life and remove people from your life. He will open doors and close doors. He will do amazing things for a person who is sold out for him. Because I think sometimes we're just so wishy-washy. You know, one day we're following God, the next day we're following the world. And God's like, I can't use that. I can't use that. I need someone who's completely sold out for me. And that, that's who I want to be. I want, I want God to look down from heaven and go, there she is. There she is. That's the one. I can do great things through her. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be. So the first step is turning around. And then what? Well, when Naomi and Ruth went to Moab, what did Ruth do? She gleaned, right? They were hungry. She went and gleaned in the fields and picked up the leftover grain. That's what we need to do. We need to glean from God's word every day. Glean from God's word. Matthew says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness for they will be filled. We have to develop a hunger for God's word. You can develop that. You can develop that. How do you do that? You feed it. You feed it. It's like there's a story of, of a grandfather, and he's talking to his grandson, and he tells his grandson that he's got these two wolves living inside of him. And one of them is, is evil, and one of them is good, and they just fight all the time. They fight. And the grandson said, well, who wins? And he said, the one I feed the one I feed. See, we are the same. We have a battle going on inside of us all the time of good and evil. 
And the one who wins will be the one that we feed. See, we can feed our soul the things of this world, and it will crave the things of this world all the more. Or we can feast on the word of God, and we will crave his presence all the more. Hunger and thirst for his righteousness, and you will be filled. And if you're new at this, if, you've not, if you're not used to studying your Bible on your own, if you're not used to having a devotion time, then I would encourage you, we have a group here that has an online Bible study, and um, we do daily together, just online in your own time. And if you'd like to be a part of that, I'd love to hook you up with that. You can see me, and I'll hook you up with that. Um, or I would just encourage you to just get your Bible and just start reading. Just anywhere. Just start reading. Maybe start in the New Testament. Read about the, the parables of Jesus and the miracles of Jesus. Or maybe read James. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's only like five chapters long, so you'll feel very accomplished after you've read five chapters. But there's good stuff in there. There's good stuff in there, stuff that will feed your soul. His love will pour out of those pages into your soul, and that's what your soul longs for. Whether you know it or not, that's what your soul longs for. I had someone ask me the other day, well, what do you do after you've read the whole Bible? What do you do? I said, you read it again. You read it again. Because you could read this Bible a thousand times and it will speak to you in a thousand different ways. Because a lot of what the Bible is, it, it, a lot of how it applies to you is, depends on what season of life you're in. You know, the first time I read Ruth, I was a young married woman. And it was a beautiful, beautiful love story. And another time when I read Ruth, I was a young widow. And it was a different story. And it spoke to me in a whole different way. Another time when I read Ruth, I had remarried. I found my Boaz. And it spoke to me in a whole other way. And this time, as I'm reading through Ruth, I'm studying. I still have all those times to reflect on, all those experiences to reflect on. But I'm reading it, and, and I'm teaching it. And it's all jumping out to me how this story plays into the greater story of the Bible. How it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The whole Bible the entire Bible is about Jesus. It's about our need to be redeemed, and it's about Jesus coming to redeem us. It's the whole Bible. The whole entire Bible is about Jesus. It's like I think about Jesus after he rose from the dead, and he was walking along the road of Emmaus, and he came upon two men, and the Lord kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them what they were talking about so intently. And so they start telling him about this guy named Jesus, who they thought was going to be their Messiah, who they thought was going to, to rescue them, to, to redeem them, and how he had been killed, he had been crucified, and he had been placed in the tomb, and now his body was missing. And angels had told some of the women in their group that he had risen, that he was alive, and I think about this because, unbeknownst to them, these two guys are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with Jesus Christ. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> I love it. But later on, 
Jesus goes and he talks to the disciples. And he, he goes over the scriptures with them. He reads through the scriptures and he says, it's all about me. It's me. It's all about me. It's all been completed in me. It's all been building up to me. It's me. Do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Do you serve me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He's asking that to us today. He says, do you love me? And you say, oh yeah, Jesus, I love you. He says, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus. I love you. With all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, I love you, Jesus. That's what he's looking for today. You know, I've often thought, as I read the book of Ruth, I often wondered, Did Boaz love Ruth? Did he redeem her because he loved her? Or because he was a really good man? Like, was it love at first sight? Did he love her or was he just a really good man? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is that our Redeemer is both. He's a really good man. And he loves us. He loves us. Do you know that Jesus loves you this morning? Because we have people in this room today, I know, that just want to be loved so bad. That you're willing to set aside your morals, you're, you're willing to lower your standards just to feel loved. I know, I've been there. I've done that. I had a void in me that I tried to fill with everything in this world. And I was still empty until I found Jesus. He's the only one that can fill that void in your life. And he loves you. He loves you. And he is calling to you this morning to come to him. He wants a relationship with you. And if you want to choose to have that relationship with him this morning, then I encourage you to come forward when our prayer team members come forward, to come forward and pray with one of our prayer team members. And we're up here to pray with you about anything that you want to pray about. And this altar is open. If you want to come up here and, and kneel and pray by yourself, you are welcome to do that at any time. This altar is open. But I want you to know, Jesus loves you. He's calling you to him this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you I thank you for the story that you're writing in each of our lives. I thank you for the, the story that you've given us here to study and to learn from and to see your love in, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to redeem us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that has not completely surrendered to you, that they will do that this morning, Lord, and that you will redeem their lives and make something beautiful out of it. 
if there's anyone here this morning that finds themselves in Moab, Lord, that you will draw them from it, draw them back to you, draw them back to Bethlehem. God, use us to do that. Lord, help us to be those strong links in our family chain. Lord, that your lineage, that your faith, that your glory will continue through us from generation to generation to generation. We love you and we praise you for that, Lord, because we know you're going to do it. In Jesus' name.